Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Recently, one of the NRL's most celebrated players decided to leave behind the game he loves. You know, what does the next head knot look like for me? I couldn't get that out of my head. If I ever did get another head knock, I don't think I could have lived with myself. Boyd Cordner's decision didn't come because his body couldn't take it anymore, but because his head couldn't. Today, we look at brain injuries in sport, what long-term effects it can have, and whether parents need to worry about signing their children up for a game that could have long-lasting impacts. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Sydney Roosters star Boyd Cordner has called time on his career. The former Blues captain says the effects of concussion are to blame, making the emotional announcement a short time ago. The past six months or so has been a really challenging time in my life in regards to my head knocks and my health. And now at not one stage to ever think I'd be, I'd be up here in front of you all today announcing that this will be it for me. Boyd Cordner hasn't played a game of NRL since he was concussed in the State of Origin opener in November 2020. Boyd Cordner being taken to the sideline here. We can only assume this might be a head knock. Let's have a look. Yep. Oh, yeah. He clopped an elbow in the head. After trying to get back into the game, the fear of what another knock to the head might mean to his future became too much to bear, joining several other NRL players who've decided to hang up the boots to save their future health. Studies have shown that concussions cause micro-damages to areas of the brain which can lead to serious consequences. It can cause mental health decline, which can in turn lead to a higher rate of suicide. It can affect motor function, memory loss, contribute to early-onset dementia, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease and chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. The Daily Telegraph did a recent interview with former NRL player Brett Horsnell, who through his career suffered 51 on-field concussions. He told the paper how he's now surviving on a disability pension as his CTE, thought to be connected to the head knocks he received during his career from 1989 to 1998, have left him unable to work. He's housebound, suffers from depression and has to be bathed by his partner. He's just undergone a procedure where a surgeon drilled a hole in his head to relieve the pressure from bleeding on the brain. In 2019, he appeared on an episode of SBS's Insight program, explaining how his life had changed since football. Long-term memory's pretty good, but 
from the last 15 years, 20 years, it's pretty muddy. I'm not the same person. You know, you take responsibility for your own life, but I can't sort of pinpoint anything else that, that would make me the way I am now. I mean, I can slip over in the bath, I can slip over in the shower, my balance is gone. AFL players John Barnes and Sean Smith were also on the program saying their head knocks have left them changed men. It's the occurrence of when you're off, you're getting back on again and it was like a bit of a badge of honour because you're a bit of a softie or a bit of a silky if you didn't and it's pretty much how our game and I would imagine the league blokes would be the same and it was just pretty much how you were brought up as a kid. You're not going to think that it's going to add up over, you know, your journey of life and that's what's going to happen to you later on down the track. I've done a 360. My wife's like my babysitter. When I uh, shower or bath, I can't get any water because I'm, I'm now an epileptic. So water to me is out of, out of the question. My wife has to sit and watch me whenever I'm near water. Uh, when I have a seizure, I can't drive for six months. That game would just, just showed the sin. I don't remember playing that day. I went on after, back on after half time and played the game out. I didn't know that because I've seen the footage. Worked out, probably got knocked out probably 12 times. Then I see some footage of marks and I've gone head first into the turf and you go, well, we'll just add that to the list of the concussions. I reckon probably easy 30, 40 concussions on top of that. A bit of blurred vision and you sort of walk around for a bit and you go, I'm all right, you know, I'm all right. Or you might come off for, for 10 minutes and go back on. When your mum tells you, you notice you've changed, she knows you're your best. and. I was just more argumentative and friends just said, you're just not happy, you're just angry. You tend to just get frustrated really easy. I'm thinking, yeah, you're right. You get into a heavy depression. I got diagnosed with depression and, you know, and that, that taking medication for that really did help. But it's still, you have your, your good days and your bad days. After the death of former AFL player Danny Frawley, there were calls for more research into the issue of sport-related brain trauma after the post-mortem found he was suffering from low-stage CTE. A report detailed how Frawley's mental health had declined in the years leading up to his death. Former Origin great Wally Lewis, who's famously applauded for continuing to play on in a game with a broken arm, has had a very public battle with brain injury, suffering seizures while presenting the sports news on Channel 9. I was completely confused. I started walking around the building and I was in complete confusion. Uh, didn't know what was going on, you know, why I was doing it. The one thing I could, uh, I could work out was the clock. I always used to walk past this, this one clock close to our room and it was getting closer to the time where I had to go on and start reading the news. All of a sudden I started to feel okay, more confident. Went to, uh, to the newsroom, picked up uh, the scripts on the way and I, all I remember is 30 seconds, 20 seconds, you know, 10 seconds and I felt it go through me again, and I apparently said, oh no, oh no. And I sat there and apparently my, my lips started to quiver again, and, and I went to deliver the story and I, I just couldn't get it out. They pushed the button to just go ahead with the, uh, with the vision and some of the guys on the floor said, what's wrong, what's wrong? I couldn't answer their questions, so they just went straight to the main newsreader and, and he uh, delivered the sport. The surgeon who treated him said it was very likely related to head knocks he'd had while playing. Despite the research showing this is an increasingly serious issue facing those who participate in full-contact sports, including NRL, AFL, rugby union and boxing, the pressure for those who are injured to get back out on the field is intense. Dr Awina Mobbs is a senior lecturer at the Department of Clinical Medicine at Macquarie University, specialising in cognitive neurology. She's also the leading clinician in concussion, chronic traumatic encephalopathy and dementia services. 
Rowena, can we get the basics down right first? What exactly is a concussion? What does it do to your brain? Well, a concussion is really reflected by any symptoms after a significant head knock, um, persisting neurological symptoms. So things like headache or double vision or feeling dazed or confused, light sensitivity, imbalance, these sorts of factors. Now, that actually may not match up to what's going on in the brain. So, for example, we hypothesize there might be some inflammation or bruising or molecular changes even if you don't have symptoms. So there's this sort of arbitrary nature between what's concussion and then what's subconcussion or those sort of hits that still have a factor neurologically probably but without symptoms. Does each concussion always leave long-lasting damage? Not at all. And damage is a word I really try and be careful with I steer away from actually, especially if we've got a young athlete who's recently sustained a concussion, maybe they've got a background of three, four, five concussions. They're very unlikely, very unlikely to have any lasting damage out of this. Though there is some injury like a bruise to the brain, and we talk about mild traumatic brain injury, but I think damage could have consequences of feeling like there's a permanence there. And especially if we're talking issues of dementia and chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE, you know, we have to be very careful not to be alarmist in those ways. That said, of course, we are taking concussion very seriously now. There's been this big community shift, and rightly so, so that we can protect our young athletes as they go through sport. Why do we tend to see the symptoms of some of those issues you just mentioned manifesting sort of years after these players retire from the sport? I mean, we have seen some players retiring saying the reason is because they've suffered too many head knocks at this stage, but a lot of the symptoms of those issues come up a lot later. Do we know why it takes some time for that to start? Yeah, it's a really good question. We wouldn't know exactly the mechanism yet because we don't fully understand CTE and sort of those longer term consequences. But we do know, and in fact, it's part of the criteria that there's delay in symptoms following the repetitive head trauma. That said, I've seen many a player at the end of their career who have symptoms that could reflect CTE. So it's really accumulation effect of the number of years that you play, a little bit like smoking, I guess. Although, again, I hesitate to equate it in that way because sport's got so many great things about But we are looking at that player who's maybe had 20, 25, 30 years of exposure to repetitive head hits. And down the track, a decade or a couple of decades after that, typically, they may manifest troubles with the memory, slow learning, troubles with mood of irritability, anger, rage, trouble regulating their emotion, and a gradual worsening over time. A loss of awareness or loss of insight into their symptoms, which typically reflects a type of dementia, and gradually things worsen year to year or every few years for that patient. When it comes to something like CTE, is it true that you can't fully diagnose someone with it until after they've passed away? That's absolutely true definitively. And in fact, this is the case even in things like Alzheimer's disease. So we've got much better testing to say a likelihood that someone has Alzheimer's. For example, we've got metabolic brain scans that can show it. We've got lumbar puncture or testing the spinal fluid that could show up amyloid protein. And we've got much more experience with identifying Alzheimer's disease but we can't be 100% sure. And so same thing in CTE. So all that we can provide any dementia patient in life for these subtypes of dementia is that they have a possibility or a probability of this or that there's no likelihood of it. We can be reassuring often. So it's important to identify the probable dementia patients so that you can be with them in chronic care and help manage those symptoms that they have 
as well as support the family rather than encourage them to go off and deal with it on their own, which would be old style thinking in dementia. There's a lot we can do. Are we doing enough as far as making sure athletes stay off the field for a good length of time? We saw Chelsea Randall, for example, the captain of the AFW Crows, she got knocked out the weekend before the grand final, decided not to play in the grand final, and everyone was like, yes, good choice. But she would have been under a lot of pressure to make that decision and she probably would have put pressure on herself. It's the grand final. She may never get another opportunity. It's difficult for those people to make that choice. Are we doing enough to make sure they spend the right amount of time off the field? Yeah, with my patients through the clinic, I still do hear about a lot of pressure that athletes are under. I also hear about pressure from themselves. You know, they want to compete, but there are those who perhaps wouldn't necessarily be back on the field, but those who have felt pressure to get back on the field perhaps too early. Now, at the moment, our concussion guidelines, again, are a little arbitrary. So there's generally a two-week break encouraged, but some of the mounting research would suggest that there are changes in the brain those hidden changes that don't necessarily manifest symptoms, even up to months after injury. So perhaps taking a little extra time, and certainly I would encourage any athletes to listen to their body, and if they need more time, that is completely fine, and perhaps taking a conservative approach of not going back until you're without symptoms plus a little extra. But it's very hard to understand exactly when someone could go back. We need to help develop those biomarker tools or diagnostic tools to work out when someone has concussion and also when they're recovered. But that'll be the next three to five years down the track, I would say. I've just mentioned more women being at the top of their elite sports and contact sports. Do concussions affect women any differently to men? They do. So we've got quite a body of science now to say that, yes, women have worsened symptoms. They might have more prolonged symptoms than men. And this can be due to multiple factors. We probably don't fully understand it, but the factors could be the mechanics, the simple sort of anatomy or shape of the head and neck, you know, a finer neck relatively. There may be hormonal factors, in fact, very likely to be. So what we see is this syndrome of migraine that comes into the post-concussion phase very often for women. So women get three times the amount of migraine as men due to hormones. There can be genetic factors as well. And that can actually mimic all of the symptoms of concussion and post-concussion. So mental clouding, light sensitivity, sound sensitivity, dizziness, nausea, vomiting, all these sorts of things that you could see typically after concussion. So treating migraine really well is really important for getting people right. And then there are other factors of neurohormones. It's a very new field of research and much to be done to understand that. But generally, I would encourage women to consider a longer time away from concussion. And we certainly need to improve the amount of research in this field. We have come a long way where it comes to concussions in sport. Instead of simply making sure they're awake and then sending them back out onto the field, players are subject to concussion protocols, which includes time off the field and in the case for those who've suffered two or more concussions, a ban until they're cleared by an independent brain specialist. But the world of professional sport is a beast here in Australia. It involves a lot of money, the fervour of obsessed fans and the pressure on the individual to be the best regardless of what might be happening to their health. Even in reading the stories last week about Boyd Cordner, after praise for being a great leader and the impact of brain injuries on sports stars like him, the narrative very quickly changed to what are the roosters going to do now with all that space in the salary cap. But Rowena says she's confident that the changes we're making now as far as protecting children coming up through the ranks will show in 20 years' time. 
Many people think they know about concussion, but they might think, for example, that it's a knockout, a blackout, whereas that's only around 10% of concussions. So really understanding, and there's some really good publications from, for example, the AISAMA guidelines on concussion, looking at the range of symptoms you could have. So identifying that, it's obviously hard in younger children, but helping kids to understand what a concussion could be, I think we need to integrate that sort of education into early sport programs. And once you have a concussion, coming off the field, not going back on, there's a whole lot of guidelines around the early days and care around concussion that can be looked at, ensuring they have medical review. So you might consider presenting to emergency or going to your GP and ensuring that best recovery. And so I think over time, identifying concussion better, recovering from concussion better, and then the protocol changes to hopefully reduce all those high hits in sport and and try and reduce the rates of concussion. I think that's all going to add up here and lower the risk of things like CTE in due course. That's the quickie for today. This episode was produced by myself, Claire Murphy and Melanie Tate with audio production by Ian Camilleri. And if you're keen for us to look into a news story in more depth for you, send us an email, thequickie at mamamia.com.au or you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.